Hi everyone, and welcome to the Illustration to Permit podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is Debbie Bebo, founder of the Debbie Bebo Agency. When illustrators submit queries to agents, they are voluntarily including goodwill equity. Much of that equity, however, is burned. Debbie and I talk about how. Among other topics, Debbie tells us how and why she became a quote, picture book agent. She explains what she looks for in illustration portfolios. And Debbie answers questions from patrons of the podcast about querying, interviewing with agents, COVID, and more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay. Uh, allora, parliamo in italiano. No, in inglese. In inglese, sì. Voglio, voglio parlare uh, in, italiano. in italiano. Sì, però uh, la lingua mi dà fastidio. È, è una cosa che... Uh, non no, no, mi fa male, non è corretto di, di dice così. Sei italiano 100%? Io no, i miei genitori sono nati uh, a Puglia, okay. uh-huh. vengono da Puglia, uh-huh. eh, io no. Io sono nato a Baltimora, Maryland. Tu sei come Andrea D'Aquino, do you know Andrea? No. Oh, Andrea D'Aquino is uh, an illustrator who actually we represent and her parents Well, I think we're both from Puglia, and she was born and raised in New York. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, I do want to learn to speak the language far more than I, 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 do, I currently well, know. Sounds like you speak it pretty well. I, I, can, I have the ear for it because my parents speak it to me. Right. You know what I mean? Um, do they speak in dialect? Or do they oh, speak... my God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, it's fabulous. <laughs> it's just amazing. You're, you're in Milan, right? I'm in Milan, yeah, yeah. yeah. To say I love Puglia, but yeah, I've been uh, in Milan since. I've only lived in Milan in Italy. I came here and just stayed in Milan. We're gonna get to that because okay. um, okay. you know, like when I was doing a little research on you, you're not Italian. I'm not Italian. I'm actually half Japanese. I'm American. I'm American, um, half Japanese, half Jewish, yep. and I live in Italy. So um, yeah. as one as one does. As one does, so kind right. of a, a, a yeah, different mix. Different Amazing. Mix. Um, so let's go back to that. So was it in California? Is that where you're from? Mm-hmm. I'm from the Bay Area. I'm actually from Cupertino. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. What was it like? Uh, sorry, so half Japanese, half Jewish. What was that childhood like? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I haven't lived there for for over two decades now, but growing up, you know, I had like three best friends and we were all, this is in hindsight, I kind of figured this out. We were all um, like half something or another. My best friend's half Nigerian, half Croatian, another one's half African-American, another one's half Samoan, half Irish. So I think we were kind of the outsiders. Right. Rupertino was very, um, was very white growing up. Now I think it's around 90% Asian, but yeah, Cupertino is a weird place. <laughs> Silicon Valley is just a, kind of bizarre having grown up there and now seeing it now how it is and you know when I first came to Italy I moved here in in 1992 and people would ask me where are you from and I would say Cupertino they say what I say oh San Francisco Bay Area and people here in Italy would say oh yeah San Francisco and then you know now it's people say where are you from Cupertino oh Cupertino <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of... do they say uh, oh San Francesco do they say it that way or no 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 okay. no San 
Francisco. San okay. Francisco. I mean, you're an agent, but you weren't always an agent. Uh, that wasn't your first uh, mm. sort of steps not in that a, career. Not at all. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I didn't. Um, I kind of fell into this. Well, right. I don't want to say fall into it because I kind of created it for myself. But it wasn't um, even on my radar at all. I actually um, studied political science and I and I taught English and I came to Italy um, as one does when one is young, thinking, oh, I can go and live abroad, move abroad, maybe teach English for a few mm-hmm. years and go back to the States. And I and I did. I taught English here and I was lucky enough to um, have really interesting uh, students. And one of my students uh, was is a really good photographer. I became really interested in photography by teaching English to him. So we would talk a lot about photography. Um, and as I said, my, you know, I got a, a degree, I had a degree in political science and had nothing to do with the, with the visual arts. Um, but he really inspired me. And so I went back to, I went back to school here um, and I uh, studied photography studying photography that you know led me into more into the visual arts and I thought I was going to become a photographer that's what I wanted to become and so I you know I, I uh, after I finished um, photography and was still teaching English I met by chance at a, at a show a gallery show um, uh, a publisher of contemporary art and the the publisher was called Carta C-H-A-R-T-A at the time unfortunately they no longer exist um, but that was my first opportunity. I met the publisher and the person who introduced us said, oh, Debbie's a translator, which which was kind of a half truth because I taught English. I did translations on the side, but I'm, I wasn't a translator. Um, so he said, you know, why don't you, you know, we need we need someone or we, why don't you come in or whatnot. And so I started working um, as a translator later initially and then um, kind of did some editing at this publishing house and then he said would you be interested in working with me on the more on sales and distribution and I said oh no no I know I want to become a, a photographer I'm not interested in like sales and distribution and marketing and that kind of stuff and I kind of snobbed it and right. luckily I have to say I um I was scared to death too because I just didn't think that was for me and um I learned a lot there I learned a lot he it was he was a difficult person but um uh, you know, I learned kind of the tricks of the trade from that that first job, and I worked there for about four years. Um, and it was a very small contemporary art publisher, but uh, they worked with you know amazing artists. So I had the opportunity to work with artists like Marina Abramovich and uh, Jim Kazibier, you know, a, a lot of uh, amazing artists. Okay. My first experience um, working in publishing, mm-hmm. and. And again, I, I started doing that because um, because I thought it was a way. Actually, he said to me something interesting, like, "Oh, you're gonna, you know, you'll meet a, a lot of photographers." And I was like, "Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I can meet some photographers." <laughs> so I actually thought, you know, I was gonna get into this, but I was still gonna continue with my photography. Um, and of course, I didn't. But I think the interesting thing about it, and this is something I. I tell students when I when I teach is that, you know, I studied photography, I thought I was going to become a photographer. I didn't. But the things I learned in photography, when I studied photography, the, the way I see the world is probably different in the way I work as an agent. Um, that my background in photography really informs what I do today, especially as a picture book agent, because, you know, sequencing and the narrative, it's there's a lot of, um, I think I learned more than I learned a lot in my graphic design course in uh, studying photography. 
so it was all very, uh, to get back to your question, it's all very torturous in the sense that nothing was straightforward at all. And then from that <laughs> <laughs> at all. Yeah. And once I realized that I wasn't, I mean, I, I did have, um, I don't want to say I was talented, but I did have, I think, an eye for photography and I, and I really enjoyed it. And I, you know, I won some, I, I, I entered some competitions and stuff and, and, and all that. And I thought I, I had a good opportunity, but I realized what my limits were. I realized that I would never, you know, be showing at MoMA and this sounds very arrogant, but, but that's how I felt. I felt if I'm not going to make it big, I don't want to be a photographer and I was not going to make it big, not even close. And so, um, when I got into publishing, I really enjoyed it and I thought it was great. And I, and I got to see the different aspects of it. And from there I went to another, uh, art, I started working for a different art publisher called Skira. Um, and then, and uh, anyway, I basically had a career in, in art publishing and I got to really work, uh, on both the editorial side and the, um, marketing sales and distribution side that I, that I thought was so terrible, which I ended up really, um, I found that very interesting as well. Um, do you still, uh, do you still take photographs? Not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> I haven't used my Hasselblad or no, I don't, I don't no. aside from my, um, my, my iPhone, but no, I don't. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of agents I've spoken to who have like these, these very, very winding road kind of paths to being an agent. Like you don't just, you know, you're not a college or a teenager going like, I want to be an agent. I've had that thought too. I mean, I've, I've, I've wanted to be an agent. I really? Always, oh yeah. My God. I, <laughs> for years when I was at Penguin as an art director, you can, any one of my design team members would, uh, can attest to this. I'd be like, man, you know, if I were, if I weren't an art director, I would definitely want to be an agent because I feel like the agent has their finger on the pulse of so many different aspects of publishing. They would know yes. what's what with everyone and everything. And, um, also you get to talk to a lot of people and help artists make money. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of positives. Um, but I, I'm no, just, I don't, I just, I don't feel like I have the, uh, I don't know, uh, bravery. I don't know. Guts, balls. I don't know what you call it, but I, it I just... don't know. I felt the same. I felt the same. In really? fact, I, I made, I, I took the leap. Yeah. So I, um, after about I think twelve years in art publishing, I really at the end really didn't like it anymore, and I didn't because of course I mean it sounds I, I don't want to sound what's the word uh, I wasn't naive or anything going into it, but I really saw some ug the ugly side of of the art world. Uh, yeah, and that's that was you know uh, disappointing, and um, and at the end I just thought. Wasn't interested, but what I did find, and but, but I have to say, looking back on that, I got you know that that really helped me, helped me to do what I'm doing today. Of course, that was kind of my foundation. Right. But I found the freshness. Like I started um, really getting into picture books, and I started going to like the Bologna Book Fair and different book fairs, and and kind of discovering illustrators. And I found that freshness that I had, or you know, I was really struck by contemporary art. I say, I think when I was in college and after and studying photography and whatnot, and I. I have that feeling now with with contemporary illustrators, um, with illustration. I find there's something about it, especially illustrators. I find when illustrators work on art books, somehow maybe it's a little bit different than when they do kind of editorial work or, or something else. And there's that 
and the one on the one hand there is a sense of freedom of course there also there are lots of limits and limitations because you're it's still something of course it's not an, you're not an artist painting on a canvas but you're uh, an author illustrator um at the service of a book and the service of your readers. But there is something I think that's very exciting and um, a lot of artists can put in a lot of research into their into their uh, picture books. And so, yeah, so I got really excited about, about uh, the world of illustration and of children's books in particular. And, and I worked a few years um, at, at a design studio, not a designer, but as kind of doing the the, the business side yeah. of the studio. And after that, I kind of, you know, what you were saying, thinking about, you know, what could I do? What can I possibly do to put kind of the, the, my experiences together? And I just thought I did a, a little packaging as well when I was at the design studio. Um, and so for those who aren't familiar with, with the term packaging, it's um, it's a role or figure in, in the, the publishing industry. So uh, a person who would put together a project from the editorial point of view and you get a designer on board and you have the concept and you yep. put the package together and then you sell the um the package to publishers so basically you sell them the you know the discs and then they put their logo on and do the do all the promotion and the, the marketing and the, and the sales and so what i thought since i didn't have an agency and since i didn't have um any clients i i began I just said, you know, what, I'm going to give it a try. And since I have uh, contacts in the publishing world, I will ask my you know, ask them who the who I could contact in the children's department or what whatnot. And and I decided to um, to try to put a project together. And not having not having any artists or clients, my husband's a writer. He's a journalist, but he's also a writer. So I asked him if he could write a text for a children's book. And I gave him an idea, and of course, he didn't follow it at all. And he was like, oh yeah. <laughs> He didn't follow it, and he did something else, which became uh, the book. It's called "The World Belongs to You," and it's illustrated by Olympia Zagnoli. And that was the first project that I had, and I had, and and and, oh, yeah, just to go full circle here about Olympia Zagnoli, um, who I'm sure most um, many illustrators, I think, uh, probably know who she is. And podcast listeners, I had her on the podcast earlier. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Uh Okay, so exactly, so podcast listeners will know who Olympia is. But going full circle. The photographer I talked about earlier who inspired kind of my career, my early career, and and, uh, and got me into photography was is Miro Zagnoli, who is Olympia's dad. Amazing. I knew Olympia when she was just a child. but um, That's incredible. And then we lost touch. We lost touch. And when I started getting into illustration, I was looking for an illustrator, and I saw, and this was when she was just getting started, I saw the name Olympia Zagnoli. I said, what? She's, she's doing illustration now? How old is she now? And and I contacted her. Said, do you remember? He said, yeah, of course. And so then we got back, you know, and and of course I'm now, and I'm also friends with her mom, and got back in touch with her dad. And so that was kind of an interesting, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, does did um, I mean, when you first went to Italy in ninety two, mm-hmm, ninety two. Did you know Italian? I mean, well, what, what was that? Experience oh, like. yeah. oh, so that's uh, that's a that's an interesting question. I thought I did. I thought <laughs> I had studied um, I had studied Spanish. Uh, yeah. I, I minored in Spanish, and I yep. studied a year in Madrid. And so I thought, you know, I, I speak Spanish, and I studied a year. I was living in San Francisco, working in San Francisco, 
1990-91. And so I went to the Italian Cultural, I think, Institute and took a, a class, I, I think maybe I studied for a year, but like, I, I, you know, one evening uh, a week, studied Italian. And so I thought I really, I thought I spoke it. And so when I got here, I realized I really didn't, I didn't. But, and this is, this is, I think, um, for anyone who, you know, I think the best way to learn a language is kind of being immersed in it and maybe being around people who don't speak your language. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up living with two women who didn't speak a word of, of English. And I remember having terrible headaches at night because I just, you know, trying to understand what they're saying. And so I picked it up really quickly, mm -hmm. but yeah. I didn't speak. That's 100% correct. I, anytime, I, anytime I go to Italy, which isn't often, but when I do, after a few weeks, it just flows beautifully. I mean, like, because you're just there and, and it all kind of starts connecting and clicking. And the Italian language isn't that difficult. Um, like, my cousins in Italy say that learning English is far more difficult. English is a really, oh, really complicated language to them. Yeah, I feel like it's also, um, I think that's, you know, that's the way children learn. You learn by being right. around people who are just speaking to you. And so I remember just looking at them, and this was before, you know, this is before like internet and Google and everything, and just being like, what are you saying? Um, and then slowly, slowly, <laughs> slowly getting it. Yeah, amazing. Um, those first years, I mean, did you... Were you like, yeah, this is a great decision, or I made a terrible mistake? No, oh, no. yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Initially, I thought um, I was really excited about moving to Italy because when I was in Spain, and I have to say, I love Spain. But when I did that year abroad, and I had studied, you know, a minor in Spanish. Um, Spain was not my country and, and I traveled after and I came to Italy I thought oh these are my people like I really felt and I feel at home here much more so than I ever did in the United States wow okay yeah it really felt at home and so when I got yeah you know, I just felt like well, like what was uh, it what was it about the I don't the know people. I think it's the people I just feel like I connected with the people I feel that like people are very warm and and sensitive and um I, I think it's the I think it's the warmth the warmth yeah. the passion I feel like there's a lot of compassion and even though people people complain and people say this and that but in the end I feel like people really come together and and there's a sense of community a sense of wanting to be together and I felt I feel like in the United States um and maybe maybe this is also be growing up in a mixed um culture um there was always a bit of a, a sense of alienation I felt a little bit alienated and a sense of even though I felt like I belonged to tons of friends and whatnot, that, but I just felt like, there, yeah, a sense of alienation, like there wasn't connection. And here I just felt like there, people connect. You connect, you know, you connect every day on different levels with people. But there's always that connection. And I really, really, um, that's what really drew me to this country. Um, when I got here, it was just very gray and it, it polluted and not kind of the idea that I had, that really kind of romantic idea that I had had of Italy. It just, and so I was living in a great place in San Francisco and it was beautiful. And I thought, what did I do? Like, this is a huge mistake. Uh, huge. Um, not to mention that I was dumped by um, this guy who I actually came here for. This is also embarrassing. But anyway, um, dumped immediately, immediately. And so at the time, I remember calling home and my mom said, just come home. Think of it as a vacation. Come home. Who cares? Like, who cares? Just get on a plane and come home. And I thought, no, I'm not going to. I don't want to do that. I, you know, I quit my job in San Francisco. I'm going to stick it out at least at least a year. I'll stick it out. Right. You know, one year became 
Oh my God, almost almost 30. It's almost been 30 years, 28 years. You know, I, I have lots of conversations with illustrators. Um, and when we talk about agents, it's either like one side of the spectrum or the other. It's either like great and and pleased uh, because they have an agent or they have interests interest from agents mm-hmm. or it's complete frustration bordering on anger uh, because of, of um, agents general inability to respond to queries or right. uh, suggest you know s- state something on their website and then not follow through on it like uh, one quick example is if you submit to me, then I want like a two week exclusive time period, at which point, you know, then you can reach, you know, reach out to other agents. You know, after a few months, the person realizes that they're never going to get an email back. So there's there's a lot of frustration. Right. And, and, and right. oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear that. Yeah, yeah I hear that. Um, wait, so what's your question? This is the question. What is your take on the agent illustrator relationship knowing that agents as a group, I think, are mm-hmm. burning through a great deal of illustrator equity. The bad yeah. ones are anyway. Yeah. Okay. That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, in, terms of, um, in terms of my relationship with the illustrators that we represent, it's a total love affair. It is a total love affair. I have to be totally in love with uh, an artist to want to represent them. Mm -hmm. I I see someone or someone might, you know, query me and I see it and it's instant. It's instant. And I'll reach out to them. Um, That's usually, that's best case scenario. And uh, best case scenario is if I'm totally in love with uh, somebody's work, um, I'm obviously going to be able to sell their work. Whereas if I'm not in love, and I think this goes for any agent, if you're not totally in love, somebody's working on something more cerebral, it's a bit more difficult, at least for me, to, to sell it. Right. So initially, right. I think it's that, like a love affair. It's a, it's a committed, it's like a committed relationship. It's a very intimate relationship as well. I feel like the, the artists that, that we represent, some artists I speak to every day, on an everyday basis, especially when they're working on a book. If we're working on a book, because I'm very much hands-on, we work a lot together. And so we, I could talk to somebody, I don't know, several times a day or every day or every other day. Um, or, for example, maybe an artist is working through a problem or trying, changing um, their style. It's very much um, a very close-knit relationship. Um, and that takes a lot of energy. And that takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of time. And I think that's where the that the love affair has to come in or the love, let's say that for, for me to really be so interested in in somebody's work. And then, and then it goes both ways. I think then we kind of play off of each other and um, yeah, it's, it's an intense, it's an intense relationship okay. at okay. least, at least in terms of how I work, because I think I might work maybe in a little bit different way than other agents. I don't know, because we work a lot since we were specialized mostly in picture books, but as in illustrated books as well. Um, we're proactive in the sense that we pitch people through their projects. We're not just putting people's portfolio on our sites and saying, oh, you know, if you're interested in commissioning, which is great, which is something we also do. But um, since I started out, as I said, kind of packaging books, I still do that. And so I'll bring forth a project to a, to a publisher. And so before bringing that project to a publisher, we really work a lot with the artist to 
to get that project at a point where we think we can sell it. Um, in terms of new illustrators, illustrators um, who write to us, I feel very, very guilty in the sense that I we don't respond to all to to everyone's query, and I wish we did. It's the truth. I feel like you know we're a small agency. There's two of us: my associate Ilari De Monti and myself. Um, we represent around thirty around thirty artists, and we work like ten to twelve hours a day. Um, and so. If we were to answer every query, I guess we could. We could just have a standard, you know, email answering everyone. We definitely look. We, we look at everything. We look at everything that comes in, and, and a lot comes in. And we put on our website, you know, if we don't get back to you uh, between four and six weeks, it probably means that we're not interested. Okay. You know, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I think in a perfect world we would be responding to everyone. Um, initially, I did, and then initially people would ask if I could give them kind of feedback and whatnot, and I just found that very difficult because um, because it takes time to give feedback. And I know some people maybe um, work as consultants and, and they get paid for that. I mean, I, if somebody asks, and I mean, I think maybe a few times I might have given feedback, but. Um, I give feedback to you know the artists that that we work with basically, or you know students, or or, or you know I, I often do things with um with like the Bologna Book Fair or with mm -hmm. fairs where portfolio readings let's say that of course, but um but it's just that we don't have we don't have enough time in a day. Yeah, and, that, and that's fine. I mean, as long as it's clear on your website, you know, right after forty six right. weeks, if you don't hear from us, it's just not. But to hear that, that's fine. But there's there's a lot of there are a lot of like misinformation and yeah. just just sort of like confusion and and all and I, so many I, frustrated I, illustrators yeah, out there I'd man like, i'd like to say this this is something that just happened um actually yesterday um a woman wrote to us and she uh is it she's never written before she's not an illustrator but she sent us like some projects that she'd illustrated herself and it was clear she was an illustrator, but her writing was very was very good. And we have been so busy this last month um, because this is the, of course, it was supposed to be the Frankfurt Book Fair in October, but it didn't happen. So we're just doing all of our meetings online. So we're in meetings a lot of the day on calls and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we had looked at this, this uh, woman's email together. We looked at her project. We really liked it, but neither of us had the time to respond to her. So she wrote back. So this is something that I would, I highly recommend to people. I'm, I'm sure most people do this, but I appreciate it. Uh, I really appreciate it when people sent, she sent after six weeks, she said, well, six weeks uh, has got, have gone by and I haven't heard back from you. So I'm assuming that you're not interested, but thank you anyway. Perfect. Which was a great reminder. It was like, oh my God, we didn't, we didn't write back to her and we really like her. And so yesterday we did. And so we're having a call with her next week. Um, and so what you were saying about the equity of illustrators, I think sometimes we lose. I mean, I think we're missing out sometimes. I know we're, I know we're missing out. And we can't obviously represent everyone, but sometimes I feel like, God, if I could spend maybe like a few hours each week just dedicated to looking at new artists, that'd be great. But of course, there's only two of us, so we're not gonna ever grow. We'll never be able to represent hundreds. I mean, we'll always be kind of a small boutique agency. Right. And we're back. Debbie changed up her headphones um, because there was a little bit of echo and I was hearing on my part. Thanks, Debbie. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, see, that's, you know, that, that's the kind of agent I think people would want, someone who can change directions <laughs> midstream, you know. <laughs> um, well, you know, the, the thing about querying leads me to something I want to get to, and that is I have patrons of the podcast. 
I reached out to them and I said, I have an agent on the podcast who's coming up and I'd like to, uh, do you have questions for her? And if you, mm-hmm. and if so, I will ask your questions on the, on the oh, recording. Great. Great. So I have a bunch of questions here. I've done this before yes. with other folks and it's all worked out pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of them. So we're not going okay, to, we're not gonna get to, we're not going to get to everyone. But we will get to a few that I think will touch on generally what everyone has been touching on. Most of the questions have something to do with what do you look for in illustrators, you know? Um, okay. But we're going to get to – so there's going to get – let's see if I can get – how many do I have? One, two, three, four, five. Oh my God. Okay. Um, let's go with – so we're talking about querying. Mm-hmm. And several of these uh, questions are basically boils down to what is it when people – email you mm-hmm. illustrators emailing you what would you want to see in that email oh simple uh cut to the chase who you are why you're querying if you have a project in my case i think it's a little bit different i really we look for for artists who have projects as i said before so we're looking for somebody who has a project i would say even to attach the project or a link to the project or a link to your portfolio or whatnot but just to be very clear and concise do you want to read you know a, a multi-paragraph biography and starting off no. with when i was four i picked up a crane no 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 yeah, no I no think so. no not at all and since we're talking about illustration illustrators and illustration obviously the more visual i I mean i say very concise because i think we can just get a very quick idea of uh an illustrator by looking at their art and seeing whether or not it's um we're in sync if you're querying different agents really study their um their clients study their talent and see what one what they're looking for and two whether there's something in your art that connects to any of their artists because usually I think it's very difficult that an agent will have um, artists who are vastly different. You know, one who might be uh, agents who loves that kind of very graphic looking illustrators, very bold or others who might have a more, I think that's really important. So it's kind of like going to the the wrong publisher, going to the wrong agent. I think you could do a lot of that homework before and kind of see, and then narrow it down to to a few and mention maybe that mention that as well. Uh, I think it's always important time to mention if there's any kind of connection mention also, um, I know people who query me will say, you know, I, I got your, Mail. I'm a friend of I don't know Chris Houghton. Let's say is an artist I represent. Uh, he gave me. He suggests hey, I contact you. I obviously, that's gonna. Oh, you do. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Chris is Chris is wonderful. Yeah, he's awesome. And so th- that's obviously gonna gonna get my attention because oh, Chris suggested. So I'm not gonna. You know, of course, I'll ha- have a look and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I think kind of make making connections is is important as well. And you know, let, letting the agent know uh, that that you've kind of looked at their website and have studied what they what they do and that you're that you're speaking to the right person i've had some people query me on stuff that we don't even do and so they obviously haven't really (laughs) taken the time to look at our yeah to look at our website you know it's like dear agent please represent me sincerely and and this is something and i it's i shouldn't even have to say this but we receive these kind of um emails which are terrible where they send uh, a person will send the same mail to all agents, like, you know, I, all of uh, the same agents were all in the same email. 
which is oh, awful. Oh man! Yeah, that's Don't bad. Do that's that. bad. Oh my that's bad. god! Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that. All right. So actually, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm shuffling the questions here. So okay. Just, just to sort of have a little bit of a linear kind of through line here. So, mm-hmm. uh, folks have queried you. Uh, please keep your emails concise and uh, personal, and just show your art. Attach pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Include mm-hmm. a link to your website. Yeah, exactly. Etc. Now you're interested. Mm-hmm. So, let's go with Katie from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Asks, have you ever had a phone call with a client? You were saying earlier that you're going to have one. Yes. Um, to discuss possible representation, and it went so poorly that you did not offer the representation. Yes, and re- that's a great question. Okay, I'll, then I'll stop there. What's the answer? Okay. <laughs> uh, has that ever happened? Yes. Yes, it's happened. In Ooh. fact, that's part of the process is first, if, we, if we're interested in somebody, we'll definitely uh, respond, maybe go back and forth a few times, email, and then set up a call. Okay. And it happened um, that... With this person, this person wasn't letting me talk at all. This person talked for like an hour, and I realized it was very tiring. And it was very, very much, tiring. very much like this podcast interview is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, no, it was it was very tiring, and I realized it was going to be a personality yeah. problem. Yeah. Because I think that's something else that's important, and this is something else that when, when I teach, I, I I say to the students, the illustrators, is that it's a relationship like any other. And if you don't think you you like this person or are going to get along with this person, that's that, that doesn't bode well for for the relationship. Yeah. And so I think it's just as much a, as the call on the illustrator's part as it is on the agent's part. If the illustrator feels that somehow they're not um, kind of jiving with the you know gelling with the with the agent, then it's probably not going to work. Um, and it, something else, a trust. I think this other thing, the, the the same person, it was a trust issue. When I did say things, um, it didn't. There was something I felt there was a bit of diffidence. And um, one thing that working with an agent, it takes a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of trust on both parts, mm-hmm. on both sides. Okay. Um, and if a person is diffident, I, they might not. It might be best to just go on their own without an agent because you have to be able to trust your agent. Your agent basically, you know, uh, I don't want to say has your career in their hands, but it's a big trust. You know, uh, there's a lot of trust there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that yeah. has happened. Yeah. And you actually answered her second question, which was, what are you looking for when you have a phone call with a potential client? It's yeah. A personality and, thing. Yeah. Not, not only personality. Um, I think it's for, from my point of view, also not only personality, but also, um, is this person reliable from an agent's, an agent's point of view, talking about trust, I need to know, be confident enough to know that this person will deliver. So I'm putting, you know, we're putting our face online with, with publishers and yeah. whatnot. And if the publisher says it's this date, it's going to be this date. Will this person, you know, uh, and so trying to get a sense of the person, the person's values, their work experience, their profession, you know, just trying to get a whole, a, a sense of, uh, yeah, of the, of the person, yeah, kind of 360 degrees. And of course that I'm not going to get that in a phone call, but you do get a lot in a phone call and you do get a lot, um, looking, you know, we do whatever, uh, zoom or whatever it is, uh, Skype. And, um, I think that's important to kind of see the person, even if it's virtually to get a, a, a sense. And, and I think it's important for the person to get a sense of, of who I am because they might, you know, they might say, Oh, this is not kind of the, what I was looking for after all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tara from McCungie, Pennsylvania 
mm-hmm. asks, how do you handle, so now you've had this phone call and you say, let's sign up, let's sign this person up. Mm-hmm. So now Tara steps in and asks, how do you handle a nervous newbie illustrator who has a lot of questions and needs a little bit of handholding in the beginning? Yeah, no problem at all. We handle that, you know, we kind of walk illustrators through uh, step by step starting from the contract process, starting from our own contract with mm-hmm. with the illustrator. We talk them through it if there's anything in our own contract that they don't understand. Um, and I think I think that's um, a really good question because I think uh, an important role of an agent is to give the artist the confidence that they may not necessarily have or they may ha- or, or they may not see their own art. They might be questioning their own their own art and I think when somebody else sees it when your agency says no actually keep doing that that's great or 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 maybe try this way you know I think that that's part of of the role of an agent is to to hold uh the artist's hand when when their hand needs to be held and to kind of walk side by side as well yeah excellent taking one more step forward in this line process (laughs) process uh Jin from the Netherlands asks What's the most challenging thing about working with artists day in and day out? Well, I don't have this problem right now at all, at all. And I feel like I'm, I love, I love our artists and, and I have a very good relationship with, with, with them. Uh, the most challenging thing is when I don't. The most challenging thing is when, when, and this has happened in the past, and and we I've separated, we've gone different ways with with a, a few artists. It's challenging when, when you don't see eye to eye, or when things, when there isn't that trust, or when, for example, um, something isn't going well, and maybe you suggested the artist to try something new, and there's the resistance, or the when when there's something in a relationship that doesn't go well, that's that's very that's challenging. And yeah. I think you, you can either overcome it, try to figure out if it's, you know, how you can try to overcome that, or decide that maybe we're not made for each other and maybe this person would be better off with a different agent. And and that's happened before. And I think um it's it was actually a huge relief. It's happened I think two or three times uh, since mm-hmm. I've had my agency. And every single time it's happened, it's been a, an enormous relief. And and that's what's challenging. That's an that's something like obviously I, I wake up in the morning and I'm really happy about what I do and I love working with the artist. And then when I have that feeling like oh I don't want I don't feel like calling this person, right. that's when I know like hmm. Or if the artist doesn't feel like calling me. <laughs> right. All right. So let's head over uh, across the other side of the planet and um, both Michelle from Honolulu. Oh, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, Giuseppe. Can I go back one? Can I say yeah, something else as well about the course. challenge? Because that was a great question from the Netherlands. One of the most challenging things that I'm, um, in terms of work, that um, kind of experiencing now in this period, is um, since I, I, as I work with artists from around the world, and I work a lot uh, in the American market, and as we all know, markets are different. Uh, mm-hmm. Right in the American market, I think what's very difficult is there are certain things that you can and cannot um, illustrate or, or rather not that you can or can't there's certain ways of illustrating certain things and there's a lot of polit- politically correctness uh, for good and for bad mm-hmm. and without getting without getting into getting into it but that's very challenging because sometimes uh, an, a European illustrator or an Asian illustrator will say yes I understand that but I'm not sure I want to change what I'm doing to uh, 
to conform with the way a, in a way a publisher might see this just because of maybe fear of being censored. And I, I can give you like just mm. the, from little examples to big examples, but um, this has come up time and again um, for me in children's books and uh and it's very difficult. That's challenging. It's challenging to find the right to, it's challenging to work cross-culturally and to understand different cultures and to say, okay, when can I push and when do I need to, to push back or, yeah. or, um, to find that both with the, our artists and with the publishers, you know, when is it, when is it time to tell, say to a publisher, wait a minute, is this really necessary? Do we really need to change this? Cause it might change the integrity of the, of the illustration or to say to the illustrator, you know, um, this may not seem like it to you, but it, it could come across as being racist in America. Uh, it sounds as if you're getting that more from the United States markets than you were getting it from the European and yes. other markets. Yes. Especially I think right now, because of the political climate, because of the situation, it, there's just a lot of tension there's a lot of tension and i think that unfortunately and i'm probably not gonna make lots of friends saying this but i feel i feel like that there's a fine line between editing and and censorship i feel like we can easily fall into to, to censorship yeah and i feel like that we kind of have in a certain way um but anyway without that's a whole nother oh that's God. a whole nother can of worms but anyway yeah um, I, I mean i have that, i've that's I, the most challenging aspect of my work right now yeah by far and large, yeah. Wow, um, we have like hours worth of of, of <laughs> uh, time, time that we need to we need for that that discussion. Um, that would be a great panel discussion. I oh, think. Oh God, it would be fantastic. <laughs> it would be with librarian with everyone, librarians, uh, critics, uh, right. bloggers, yeah, publishers. I mean, there are there are. I'm just looking. I'm just thinking. Staring blankly at my computer and thinking of of examples in the past where there were white creators and um, in in cases in which like when you know Ezra Jack Keats had Peter right, in right. Snowy Day and um, right. you know by and large uh, accepted as a wonderful book but at the time when it launched there was a critic her name escapes me at the moment Nancy something mm-hmm. um, uh, Larrick Nancy Larrick who uh, you know, said that Peter, the depiction of Peter's mother was racist. She looked like a, like a quote, Aunt Jemima, like, right, you know, right. type. So it was that. And then there was Margot Zamak who did it basically an African folk tale. Uh, I can't remember the title off the top of my head. It has something to do with a donkey and a farmer, um, which was panned as racist. Right. You know, so it's, I think there's a lot of discussion that still needs to happen. Um, I think if we all approach it from a from a level of respect and and uh, emotional intelligence and such, then I think it's all going to be good. Which I, my feeling I is agree. that that's I that's agree. generally what's happening. But yeah, there are definitely some loud voices who are um, telling artists what they can and can't create. Right. And for me, I- the bottom line is, I can't abide by anyone telling an artist what they can and can't create. That to right. me feels very wrong. And it's funny that it's coming from uh, folks who would who would otherwise rail against something like that. Right, right. That that that's the irony. And then the other thing I think as well is that when and I see my own artists, I see what happens to them when this happens inadvertently. But when it happens, you know, obviously it's never intentional. And uh, what happens is 
they begin censoring themselves and they lose their freedom and that and that uh, that I don't want to say energy, but that kind of lightness. Mm. Sure. And I think that that's a shame. Yeah. Um, holy cow! Did not know. Did not <laughs> think that answer was going to go that direction. But there we go. Um, well done, Jin. Getting that out of us. <laughs> um, all right. Well, moving on. Shoot, I'm not going to move on. There's a question here that is a big one and a great one, and it comes from Des, who hails from Ontario, Canada, mm-hmm. who says, "With the recent focus on the lack of diversity in publishing." Do you believe that the publishing industry's efforts to include more black creators on their publishing lists is merely a current trend? Specifically, do you see it as a long-term commitment to developing and supporting a black artist's career? And then she ends with, thank you kindly. Well, I, no, I definitely think it's, it's something long-term. And I think it's For something, sure. I think, yeah, and I think it's very important that, that publishers have, have, um, are com- making huge commitments to this and really looking not only at um, their current list of authors and illustrators, but going back to their backlist and their catalog and actually indexing and seeing, you know, the statistics and looking at um, the, the, their authors. Um, I think to answer, also to answer um, uh, Des's question, I think it's really important that publishers right now are looking to hire people. I think exactly. that's been missing. That's yep. been missing. I think there's so few um, African American editors, yep. um, publishers, and whatnot. And now I think that that that's you know kind of the same thing with the, the women and men and whatnot uh, as well. Yeah. Anyway, okay. uh, just a few more questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Michelle from Honolulu, Hawaii. Julia from Cresco, Pennsylvania, another Pennsylvanian. Moon Lee from London, and definitely a few others are asking. Mm-hmm. Basically, what do you look for in an illustration portfolio? I know you said earlier that it's like you just know, you just see it, and you're like, "Yep, that's that's mm, that's something that I want to get behind." Yeah, it's something that right, it's something that that I connect with. Um, but is there something like? You know, uh, in particular, but can, uh, I, can I just add one thing uh-huh. too? what's yes. interesting about this question? It's a good question. Like, yeah, you want to know from an agent what they look for in illustration. However, mm-hmm. it, it, I'm not to, not to say that these, these patrons are implying that this is, it's formulaic this way, but so many, there are so many agents out there. Everyone has their own opinion and their own idea of what makes a good illustration. So to ask one illust- one agent, like, what do you look for in illustration is to then a sort of suggest that, that that's what all agents are looking for. And maybe, maybe, but B, what does it ultimately matter? Because I hope none of them are thinking of changing their style to fit whatever your definition, all right. Debbie, <laughs> is yeah. of a good illustration, yeah. right? So I just want to make that clear. I'm sure I don't have to. Our patrons are incredibly intelligent and wonderful, but just throwing it out there. My answer is twofold. Number one, I usually, as I said, since our agency, we really focus on, uh, we're really uh, project focused. A lot of illustrators we work, uh, that we represent also are, are, are authors in their own right, or maybe not initially, but um, they end up also kind of writing their own books as well. Um, so I'll, what I look for when I see a project, or even now, I can, I can, 
put this, I can extend this to, to um, portfolios as well. I look for um, people who have something to say. People have something to say, and I get that in, through the illustrations. Mm-hmm. If somebody has something to say, I see that that something it, that it communicates, that it communicates an emotion, that it get, that it, it uh, something sparks inside of me. So I think that's what I would say. I look for people who have something to say, and I don't look necessarily um, for people who are great, um, you know, just kind of. Uh, have a great hand or like the, the perfection or, you know, great, uh, uh, I mean, of course I love great line work. And of course I love, uh, artists who use great color, but that's not important. It's not as important to me as, um, what they're communicating via those colors or via the line work. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, that's what it is. I, I think it's an emotion. I think yeah. it comes down to something that, uh, that, that strikes an emotional chord in me. And I think if it strikes an emotional chord in me, that means it probably strikes an emotional chord in lots of other people as well yeah. because it's communicating something. Yeah. And so ultimately, I think it's a matter of, of uh, communication. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think, yeah, that's my answer. And that's a great answer. And I think that should be the answer. I think there are no other answers. Um, that is the answer. I mean, it just has, it has to connect with you on an emotional level. I, I, right. I constantly am telling illustrators just yeah, worry, just fill two boxes. There's only two boxes that any illustrator really needs to worry about. Nothing else matters if just those two boxes are filled. Everything else will fall into place. And they are a control of the, of the medium. So like n- not no, not only knowing what you want to say, but have a, have a control of whatever medium you're using in order to say right. it clearly. Right. And then right. have and then some kind of emotional conveyance or informational conveyance that's clear. Yes. Yes. Check but, but those two like- boxes. I don't care what style. I don't care what uh, medium. I don't care totally. what industry. It just to check those two boxes and everything else. You should be in good shape. No, that that's absolutely true. And and I have to say, um, yes, you have to have a good command of like what you said of your of uh, your medium. But I, I love imperfection. Oh, me too. I love imperfections, and I love that. And I I find that um, uh, and uh, an artist we represent, Benjamin Shaw, he. Um, I quote him a lot because I read this in like an interview, but somebody uh, asked him about um, whether he thought style is, was important to him. And he said, well, of course, you know, we all, we all strive to have style, but, but, but in the end, yeah, style, you know, styles will come, your style will come. But what's important, he said, or what he learned from his teacher when he was studying mm-hmm. at art school was um, go toward your defects because we all try to hide our defects. We're all afraid to show our defects, but go toward those defects because your defects are what really define, what really define you. And I think that's interesting. I think that we find quirkiness in others interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe something in ourselves we're kind of afraid to show. And I think that, that that's interesting to, to kind of show that the, those vulnerability, the vulnerable part is what ultimately um, people connect to as well. Yeah. And this answers, this answers a question from Jessica <clears throat> from Moscow, Idaho. Mm-hmm who does ask something to that effect is, you know, it's like, she says, do you see the classic slash old fashioned look of the golden age of illustration ever come back into favor, uh, for children's book of publishing, as opposed to a more impressionistic slash imaginative rendering of characters or settings. God, these questions are all great. Or does that belong that, that sort of style, does that belong to the past? Mm -hmm. And now today illustrators must make something new and different to set themselves apart. And we just, I think we just answered that question. Yeah. Like don't yeah. don't purposefully try to make something new 
to make set yourself up apart because there's it's first of all the the market is is i say this all the time and it just bears repeating because it's ridiculous how often people uh will make statements that suggest that they understand what the truly what the market is the market right. is an un unknowable ever moving ever evolving thing constantly changing constantly, constantly changing so to, so to right. go and like pick a style like you're lifting a uh i don't know like you're buying a toothbrush at walmart or something it, it it's crazy it's crazy making because let's right. say you pick a style and let's say it works and let's say you're happy with it who knows who likes that style who knows if that style goes out of fashion in a week exactly also it, it to just... answer to answer a question i think it's also um you know we pitch projects that, you know, hundreds of publishers hundreds and we could have the same exact project and somebody let's say it, it depends on taste a certain editor might say ah oh, eh, it's kind of old-fashioned we don't do that whereas another publisher maybe just as that or or markets right the french market is very different from the american market which is very different from the italian market from the japanese market from the korean and so there are different aesthetics so you just need to 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 follow your own voice yep. and then your agent will find will will place that in the right market with the right publish, publisher well said i wouldn't change you know your own self to, to fit into anything it's i think it should be the other way around exactly um, one more question, and then I have actually I have mm -hmm. one more one more tough question from a patron, and then one more. Okay. Um, are you ready? Are you ready for tough questions, Debbie? Yeah, I'm going to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to walk out on me here. <laughs> um, God. All right. So one last question. A bunch of folks. Uh, Tara asks about this. Nancy from Vancouver, Canada, asks about this, and some others. Mm -hmm. How is COVID? How's this pandemic affecting you, your business, mm -hmm. and how do you think uh, it's affecting publishing? And I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add a little bit onto this. Mm -hmm. uh, are these changes, are these effects permanent? Okay. Um, so, how has COVID affected me yeah. personally? Um, Actually, I just spent this lot. Today's my first day out of self-isolation uh, quarantine because I was in contact with a friend who turned out positive. She has COVID. So our family had to self-isolate for a week and we're negative. And so, but, but anyway, on a personal level, well, it's given me a lot of time to think. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, Damn right. But uh, on a personal level, yeah, I, I think it's been, you know, it, it, it's been a terrible, a terrible and a tragic period at the same time. If I can, you know, if I can find a silver lining in any of this, it has been a moment, I think, of togetherness, at least for my family um, and for me to think about what I do um, in terms of my business. Um, I was very fearful, of course, I think like everyone that um think this year was just you know fearful of of not being able to sell our projects and um uh, interestingly enough our business is doing really well we haven't um seen a dip yet yeah. and i keep waiting for the ball to fall um all throughout spring i kept saying you know we didn't have the bologna book fair and yet we did everything online and we sold i i don't i don't know just as many projects but um I feel like we'll know at the end of the year the balance, but more or less, we're, it's business as usual for us. During during the whole lockdown in Italy, we were working a lot. I mean, we, I felt like we were working kind of, I don't want to say more than usual, but a lot. Yeah. Um, 
of course, talking to, you know, now that France is now in lockdown again, Germany and whatnot, it's scary because uh, if bookstores are closed and libraries are closed, you know, where are people going to get their books only online? What does that mean? Yes, it's changed the the, the way um, we acquire books. And so what does that mean? Do, do Are people reading less? I don't think so. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Are people, uh, you know, in our field, are children reading less? I don't think so. I think actually... Children's books have fared well beca- um, because of the fact that that you know, parents need to read their children and children pr- yeah. want to read and, and it hasn't been it hasn't been affected. Will it be affected? I'm sure it will. I, I think it's still kind of too early to tell. I know that publishers are changing kind of the the way they work and whatnot. Right. It's um, for sure with bookstores closing. I think it's um, it's going to be hard. Um, for the moment, though, for the moment, I was really surprised to see how resilient the publishers, how, how resilient the market is. Yeah. How resilient the market's been despite, despite, you know, bookstores being closed, despite everything, people still seem to want to read. And, and I think that reflects um, something very profound in the sense that we need to make sense of, of our lives and we need to make and children, we need to help children make sense of, of what's going on. And I think books and picture books um, are a great um, vehicle for this, yeah. for learning, yeah. you know, for learning about the world around us and also for entertainment. Just anecdotally, we've purchased more picture books and graphic novels uh, oh, over the too. past six months than we did six months prior to that. Easily. I, th- I think I have too. I think I have too. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so to answer, of course, I think, um, I feel very fortunate. I feel fortunate in the sense that, um, uh, of course, if you ask a restaurant owner the same question or a hotel, right. you know, worked in, a ho- in the hotel industry or the, tra- it's very different. I think the, in the book in the book industry, and I think this industry in particular, um, uh, children, the children's book industry, um, Generally, comments have been more or less like this. There's some that, that are doing, I don't know, same day is doing better. There's some who are maybe 20, 30% down, but nothing as terrible as it might have seemed. Right. Um, but I guess it all depends on how long this lasts as right. well. <laughs> uh, I've seen several imprints go down within the publishers. Uh, yeah, um, if the comment and, and for, and I mean, it's, it's all just what I'm observing. So this is nothing this, this uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that I know everything about everything, but just what I'm seeing the common denominator is, um, books for readers older than 10. So imprints focusing mm-hmm. on those books, like middle grade, young adult, and maybe older. Those are the ones that have gone down picture book imprints haven't. And I'm wondering there's, I'm generalizing, I know, but that's kind of what mm-hmm. I'm seeing. That my my prediction is that picture books, so books for kids ages zero to nine, mm-hmm. will, I think there will be a more of a focus from publishers on those books because they seem to be bulletproof. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world, people always want picture books. Hmm. I, I I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I don't know. Cause I'm not, I'm not as I don't know about the like. Of course, young adult. I know it's a, a huge market, but don't know about um, as much about that. But I do have my sense is yes that you know when people have uh, young kids at home at home. Mm-hmm. After a while, what are they going to do? I mean, uh, I guess play on the watch TV, play on the iPad, but not. And there are books. Right. And th- thank goodness, thank goodness there are books. Yeah. 
back to illustration. So mm-hmm. one last question. This has been the fastest hour and a half of all time. <laughs> um, my God, I can't believe I that. Love it. We, both, we both speak really quickly. I know I speak very quickly. I know. And, and it's like we've been trying to get a lot do. of information in and we just, just time just flew. Good Lord. So, you know, back to, back to illustration. There are quite a few illustrators who listen to the illustration department podcast. I'm very happy to say thank you everyone. And, um, I was, you know, we always try to remember that they are all collectively sitting here with us at this lovely uh, cafe, this virtual cafe, and we're all we're all having a cornetto. Nice, that's nice. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cafe americano, per me, grazie. Uh, what would be your last bit of advice for the listeners? Um, if you are um, passionate about what you do do it. And if you have something to say, which I'm sure you all do, then to um, pursue it. Pursue it by all means. And uh, pursue it by by doing exactly this, by listening to podcasts like this, where you're in touch with or you hear kind of professionals, do workshops, get in touch, reach out, um, read, do as much as you can to learn as much as you can about this field. And, and not be afraid to make mistakes because we all make mistakes constantly. Um, and I think by, by taking you know, the leap, by, by reaching out, doing these things, not being afraid to make mistakes and not being afraid of, uh, of getting rejected because you're going to get rejected over and over and over again. And, and I get, you know, of course, I'm an agent and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm, maybe I'm not putting my own work out there. I'm putting work that we represent out there, but I feel very much that it's also um, – a part of me, but of course it's a little bit different. But after you get uh, enough no's, it becomes easier. <laughs> it becomes much easier. And while you're waiting, people often ask, and in the meantime, what what can I do? Well, in the meantime, start working on, you know, work on your Instagram page, work on your website, work on your portfolio, work on a project. Mm-hmm. Um, and just keep uh, persevering. Because I do, I do feel like um, initially, I, uh, you know, and I, I still get no's all the time. And I remember thinking it was the end of the world. Like, ah, oh, I just really wanted this book to get published by that publisher, and like as if it were the end of the world. And it's not. Then you just find the right publisher. Sometimes it's, it's a matter of timing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a matter of making the right match. Um, and so, uh, learning to take, l- learning to learn from the from the no's as well. You know, what does that mean? What does that no mean? Yeah. To me today. Um, I think that would be my, all that I think would be my advice. To learn more about Debbie and her agency, visit DebbieBeboAgency.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to short episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our new forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.